0: that movie was a movie discussion podcast i'm one of your hosts matt joined by my co-host michael hello everyone and michael do you do you feel like somebody might be here with us
1: you know matt i'm getting that third party sense as well who could it possibly be is it do we have could there be another person being on the episode
0: with us tonight there might be it's our first (laughs) guest it's our ben. first guest. <laughs> Hooray.
2: What is up, everyone? How are you doing today, Michael and Matt?
1: Doing fantastic. Great to have you on the show, Ben. Ben, I congratulatory because you are the first guest on our 10th episode. So you're kind of hitting um, like a a, a, fun, a fundamental landmark here. How does it feel this to is- have
2: one for the history books.
1: Yeah. How does it feel to sit on such a high throne at the moment with our, uh, that movie was podcast.
2: I will have to say that I am trying my darndest to not fanboy boy hard. Because <laughs> that movie was podcast makes my every couple of weeks glorious. Just fantastic. I feel like one of those guys that calls into the radio, that's just like, Hey there, what's up? Uh, you know, long time
1: listener, <laughs> long time listener, first time caller,
0: <laughs> long time first time. So, Ben, I I know that you have a uh, a wife, a kid, but I would have to assume that this is the high point of your life.
2: <laughs> you know, it's definitely not a low point. So me, I, I would probably say it's somewhere on the line of, you know, going. To a different country in the height of pandemic which i did do (laughs) and uh uh, just slightly above that yeah
1: wow wow if you would have asked me that same question and being in your seat i would be like yeah this is equivalent to like getting doubles at the free sample bar at your local grocery store on those like bacon (laughs) bites or something like that (laughs) like that's where we're that's where i'm it's we're seeing our standards here about where we're falling on how How much royalty we're being on this podcast right now but the fact that you compare us to a international vacation getaway during you know these heightened stressful times i'm I'm glad that i can be your ocean breeze i'm i'm glad ben that me and matt are your mermaid sirens that soothe you through your you know your daily life
2: I mean it's like it's like what what matt had said earlier you know i I am a husband i do have a son he's about to turn one in a month um and i i feel i i feel remiss if i don't like say like those both of them you know top draw awesome best parts of my life but uh, you know that movie was it's it's definitely up there i don't want to like give my son like this false sense of security like he's like the apple of my eye like he needs to know that also like there are different times
1: when he's not the most important, <laughs> the most important. <laughs> well feel free to have clark do a side visit onto our podcast at any time ben's oh guys everyone sorry ben's child's name is clark beautiful little child but tell him he's welcome to come onto the podcast and share his two cents about any of these topics i'm sure he's well versed in the stallone uh genre
0: Yeah, speaking of other important things in our lives, Sylvester Stallone, (laughs) (laughs) he's the subject of the movie. Every day,
1: count my blessings, wake up in the morning, look in that mirror and you say, Michael, thank God Sylvester Stallone's still doing what he needs to do each day. If you can get, if he can get up each morning, you get up and that's what (laughs) I do. man.
0: (laughs) So Ben, you, you picked the movie that we watched this episode and uh, what, what movie did you pick?
2: Well, guys, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go with with Slice. I mean, as he always says in like interviews, like his good friends call him Slice, so I'm obviously one of his best friends. Um,
0: (laughs) And you didn't bring him to the show? (laughs) (laughs) He's
2: very busy, man. Like, he's so busy. I tried. Rocky 13 has to come out sooner
1: or later, you guys, you know?
2: I sent him Doves. (laughs) Like, he just didn't get back to me, unfortunately. Um, but the movie that we are going to be reviewing tonight, is the one and only Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger.
0: Great movie. Released in 1993.
2: That is correct. It is from a director named Rennie Harlan. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I do want to get into Rennie Harlan. But first, <laughs> I want to ask a little bit about your history with the movie since you brought it. Um now, had you seen this movie before, Ben?
2: Oh, I mean, only a, a dozen times. <laughs> hundreds of times, probably, for all I know. It shaped a lot of my younger life in the 90s.
1: Really? Really? Is there any like specific memories that come to mind where you have... Because, I mean, talking 1993, we're talking VHSs here. I'm well-versed in my VHS collection. And Matt was just saying that He has this on Blu-ray back when Blu-ray was still a thing. But, I mean, you know, is there any particular memories that come up where you're like, man, I'm glad Cliffhanger was a part of this memory?
2: Yeah, I actually have, uh, you know, I'll I'll lead with one. I I do have two. Um, But one of them dealt with one of my first sleepovers as a a young youth. And (laughs) I remember just it, it playing in the background and being like, this is something I shouldn't be watching, yet I can't look away. I think it might be my first instance of Sylvester Stallone. Huh. And and that's probably why I have so much joy with it. I think it's not hard to say that you have, you know, your Godfather, your Godfather Part Two, you have your, you know, original Rocky, the speaking about Sly, but epic movie on all proportions, a near perfect movie, I would say, is one
0: clipping. Bold I am claim. very glad that you brought this movie because I have that same sort of warm fuzzy nostalgia feeling with it. Because I, I, I used to watch it when I was young a lot too. I mean, I've I've seen it countless times, and it is one of those like my dad showed it to me movies, and like you know, we just like loved watching action movies like these. So that's why I uh, own it. Um, but man, what what a film! and we're gonna get
2: into
0: it yeah man i just just coming from the opposite
1: side of the spectrum over here i have not seen this movie at all so there is no warm (laughs) cozy nostalgia feeling with sylvester stallone and myself yeah you may not
0: have the rose tinted glasses that ben and i have for this yeah
1: so maybe kind of a good thing that i'm bringing something new to the table a little something maybe a, a little bit some of our audience members haven't you know come across yet and they're going to experience the movie for the first time but hey i love sandlot i'm all about the santa Claus movies you know like p- put me into that warm cozy feeling i'd love i hope that sleeping bag has room for three because you two guys look <laughs> warmed up
0: <laughs> as long as they're six feet apart
1: <laughs> right exactly thank you so <sighs> Okay, but uh, Sylvester Stallone. So I'm um, looking into this movie. I wanted to take a see what's going on, basically in terms of his career. Basically, what was going around there during this time, and he basically got most of his main stuff uh, out of the way by this time. I mean, Rocky was already uh, well. We're I mean, we're talking 20 years past Rocky, and we're also okay. talking you know another 10 to 15 years past Rambo. So I mean. Even I think it was Rocky Five. When did Rocky Five come out? It was something like 19, I feel like late 1989, early 90s. So, yeah,
0: Rocky Five was 1990. So, he had done five Rockies by the time this movie had come out.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, this was well into his career in terms of, you know, I think, you know, he'd hit his apex plateau. I mean, Call me. That's my opinion, personal. Uh, you know, if if anything, he's like you know, he's hit the plateau. He's not, but he's not hitting anything higher at this point. And
2: uh, I, are you not saying that he didn't climb to the top of the
1: mountain? I watched with my own eyes, Ben. I saw, I, <laughs> I saw him climb those mountains, man. You don't have to tell me twice. I'm just saying, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not a USA, you know, boxing superstar, and yeah. Uh, he's definitely not finding his way through the jungles neither. So, you know, that's where we're at with Sylvester Stallone. But at the same time of this year, he was doing a movie called demolition man. And I did want to make this note as well, because I made a note of it last episode when we were going over Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger. And this was just a year after Sylvester Stallone did what he quotes as his <laughs> worst decision movie ever with stop or my mom will shoot. And Ben, I made a note of this, and the reason I'm bringing it up now is because um, the mo- The reason why Sylvester Stallone ended up doing this movie, which is about him being a detective, and his mom comes to visit him, and while he's trying to solve a case, she tags along, and was like, let's do this mother-daughter, st- I mean, mother-son style. And uh, yeah, it's a terrible movie. Let's just say that. But uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is because... Um, like a fellow meathead, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like they used to butt heads, usually just jockey type things about like, you know, who's the better actor and then who's the strongest and things along those lines. But Arnold Schwarzenegger actually tricked Sylvester Stallone to get this movie because Arnold showed fake interest and was putting up a lot of like, um, pleas and bargains to try and get this movie to get the role of this title. And obviously that got back to Sylvester's desk and then he fought just as hard for it. And when he got it, he realized that it was a hoax. And there's a memorable scene in this movie where Sylvester Sloan's having a bad nightmare with his mom and he's wearing a diaper and he actually poops his pants or pretends to poop his pants and his diaper on film. So just, just a little taste, a little, a little something on the tips of your lips to show just how terrible of a decision this was full Sylvester. But here we are, man, a year later and, um, Matt, you're usually the one to talk about the budget, but by what I'm looking at here, it looks like um they made their money back and then some.
0: Oh, yeah, this movie was a huge success. On a budget of 70 million, it had a box office return of 255 million. So Yeah.
1: So that so all in all, all in a said even that movie last year for him in 1992, ten phase from him putting up a good movie.
0: Right, I mean his name still had some uh, you know, cachet to it um you know even after five rockies and three rambos uh you know because i i feel like this movie and demolition man kind of put him back on the map as mm-hmm. a uh you know forefront action star um yeah. but yeah that that box office and budget the you know difference between those i would have to do a little bit of digging but I want to say that might make this the most successful movie that we've <laughs> covered oh, so far.
2: <laughs> Weirdest crushing things on this 10th, that movie was. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Appreciate it. But it seems that I the reason why, at least this might just be my opinion or whatever like that, but early 90s and it, during this time, I feel like mainstream American movies were into like the – adventure action big buff guy like um movie formula i'm gonna call it you know it had it had the things that you know need to make it an action movie with explosions and it's it's pretty out of the ordinary considering you know what type of movie it is you know it's not just like a bank robber movie or any sort of like you know indiana jones film but this guy these guys are cliffhangers and being a part of like a rescue dispatch team and then also getting mixed up with you know, some international crime people or whatever like that. It's definitely out of the ordinary, but uh, my reasoning is I think that this is still during that time when anytime a uh, semi-decent action rated movie, but you get a, a list actor to main it, then you got yourself a successful movie.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the director Rennie Harlan. Um, I know, Ben, you brought up his name earlier. If you listen or recognize that name, it might be because he was director of Die Hard 2, also directed uh, the fourth Nightmare on Elm Street film where the series started to decline, in my opinion. I don't know if anybody else. Is- <laughs> <laughs> but I know him because he has the distinct... uh. Award of directing the film with the biggest financial loss ever, and that movie is called Cutthroat Islands. That came out in 1995. Are you guys really? familiar with this movie? At all?
1: <clears throat> no, no. Do tell. Yeah. You you're, you're, are Ben. You are familiar with this?
2: A, a little bit. I know that like Matthew Modine mm-hmm. starred in it, and I had memories of enjoying it when I was younger, but. Besides that, I can't like go deep into a deep dive about... Cuts. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, right. Uh, but
1: I- <laughs> what do you know as a young kid, man? Anything looks good to you, but it had a, <laughs> it had a financial loss. It was the, the most... Fi- Can you tell me more about that?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, biggest financial loss ever. Cost $115 million to make and only made $10 million at the box office. So <laughs> oh. $105 million loss, completely wiped out any goodwill, that Rennie Harlan had in Hollywood whatsoever. But yeah, you're right, uh, Ben. Matthew Modine started it, and um, also Gina Davis uh, starred in it, who was uh, married to Rennie Harlan at the time. They might still be married. Uh, but this was, I think, just a total textbook example of um, a director who maybe <laughs> just uh, got a little too big in the head, <laughs> like you know just um, <laughs> here I see some uh, like trivia on IMDB saying you know just some of the reasons why the film's cost like just spiraled out of control and uh, one of those being that a dozen cases of V8 juice were shipped out to Malta where the film was uh, filmed expressly for Rennie Harlan and Gina Davis an entire room of V8 was left towards the end of the shoot so it was served to everybody Every scene had three cameras in constant use, resulting in yards and yards of film used for every shot.
1: Wow. So it sounds like they were just, <laughs> no one was telling them how to properly shoot a movie. And they're also being really selfish with that VH juice, man. You just <laughs> got to get your daily doses of vegetables, man, or you're not going to shoot a good movie. <laughs>
2: The bloody mary's you can lie.
1: that's probably probably what it is man the, the one room was dedicated to the v8 juice and then there's another room identical to it that was filled with vodka <laughs> 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 they went through all the vodka man but they couldn't put away the v8 juice man
0: that's oh, hilarious man. so that is a little bit about rennie harland's
1: Nice, nice. Uh, Just a couple more honorable mentions, at least in my book, is some supporting cast members for this movie. The two I'm going to mention are Michael Rooker, who best known for his role in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Gosh, I'm blanking on his name, though. What was his uh, character? What was it? Yan Du, my guy, Ben. You know what you're talking about out here. And uh, he was also in the walking dead as well. If you remember in the first like two seasons or no, he he, wasn't Yeah. Merle Merle. He was Daryl's brother. And uh, now, yeah, I remember him and he, yeah, he gets his hand eaten or whatever like that. Terrible, terrible for Michael Rooker. You know, yeah, everyone needs their hands. But then uh, another uh, mention as well that I wanted to not, it was, well, I'm sorry. It's John with but, the reason i'm mentioning him is because i feel like he is one of those support actors that i have seen in just an array of different tv shows or movies or something like that and he, i just like he falls a little bit like to the the rest of the cast you know but i'm always like oh this guy looks familiar i, re- I remember this guy like uh he's he was on dexter i remember he was on third rock from the sun uh he was um barney's dad and how i met your mother so like all these different little like side projects that i always see uh john and good johnny boy
0: <laughs> first name basis <laughs> yeah
1: oh, we're yeah we're uh we're good man we're friends oh yeah
0: no john's can- just, just just yeah, yeah you and Sly, exactly. exactly. man but, i gotta start meeting some of these celebs uh <laughs> yeah no john Lithgow. i mean he he Everybody knows him, you know, he, uh, you're right. He does pop up a lot in different TVs and, um, you know, TV shows and movies, but I I feel like everything that he's in, he kills it. Like most recently, uh, I watched him in Perry Mason on HBO. He was great in that, but, um, yeah, you know,
1: we all in this movie as well. I thought out of the majority of the bad guys and, I, it was a tie between John's role and Sylvester's role, but I think he, John, was the best character by far, in my opinion, for this movie. He played a really good villain, and uh, he, the, the the English accent just gave it that international villain vibe, like this guy's a <laughs> criminal mastermind or whatever like that, but, you know, that's my personal opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> I did like the English accent that he put on. Um, uh,
2: he. he- fantastic though that is such a great point Michael I mean when you're coming and you're looking at good villains like outside of these major movies that we're getting today your Thanoses, your you know Jack the Rippers although that might not have <laughs> been, but, like, but when you're looking at these bigger ones especially like if you look at a, a comparison and I think honestly a fair comparison would to be the, to the original Die Hard to, uh, Hans, Hans Gruber
1: uh, yeah, Hans Gruber mm-hmm
2: I mean, maybe not in that same vein, but I think his his role as this villain in this movie is equally as. Oh, absolutely!
0: Yeah, I'd say that they're
2: one for one. Have these action movies in the '90s that are just subpar at best, but you definitely remember John Lithgow.
1: Exactly, I totally agree. I totally agree. But there's one thing I think we need to learn here, gentlemen, is that England is putting out some serious supervillains. Okay, these money crazed, hungry people that they're willing to kill. So. You gotta watch out. They're they're coming in by the plethora as as far as what American film industries have shown us. So, you know, just just be careful. The next time you guys are shooting a movie or something like that, just steer clear from England actors. All right. They're they're
0: crazy. I just steer clear of England in general. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. All right.
1: I'm ready to dive right into this movie. You ready, guys?
0: I'm ready. And let's start. With a good old synopsis. A botched mid-air heist results in suitcases full of cash being searched for by various groups throughout the Rocky Mountains.
1: Oh, so the settings of Rocky Mountains. Like, Rocky Mountains. <laughs> screw me if that was made blatantly clear in this movie or something like that but i did not know that it was taken i thought it was just like you know here we are in america it could be any mountain range or something like that but this is where we were taking place but yeah,
0: i don't know that they ever expressly say you know usually like at the beginning of the movie it'll give you a little like the down at the bottom text of where it takes place or exactly mentioned it at some point in the movie but yeah i don't i don't think that they uh made that it, it
1: was clear like- Colorado Rockies, like, in your face. <laughs> like, that, like That's where we are, okay? Um, <laughs> but you're totally right, but... Not to interject. Great synopsis, great synopsis.
0: Yeah, so... Um, anyways, if that listener sounds like something that you might be interested in watching before we go into plot and spoilers, uh, I am sorry to say that this film is not currently streaming anywhere, so... Um, go, go to Matt or Ben's house and you can go get a VHS copy <laughs> of it <laughs> yeah swing on through uh, but it does hit streaming services every now and again so just keep your eyes peeled or rent it I mean you know it's, it's a great movie definitely worth a rental but we'll get to that after we get to the plot uh, so gentlemen what do you say that we dive right in
1: dive in and I'm ready
0: alright film starts we are introduced to rangers gabriel gabe walker as well as jesse and uh They are like a you know rescue uh, squad, rescue rangers, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's what they are. They're like wilderness rescue range. Yeah, exactly. Rescue rangers that are taking. Yeah, takes place in the Colorado Rockies, like we just made blatantly clear a couple minutes ago. But uh, yeah, these guys they're dedicated to preserving, but also rescuing fellow climbers and hitchhikers and all the sorts and stuff like that to provide first aid whenever needed kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and uh they are sent out to rescue a friend Hal Tucker and his girlfriend Sarah doesn't have a last name. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> uh because Hal who, you know, Michael Rooker plays in the movie, he suffered a knee injury while climbing. Sarah is very inexperienced <laughs> in climbing. Um and the both of them are stranded on a peak in uh, the Rockies, as we find out.
1: Yeah, I I gotta be honest. I guess this is the first question. Are either of you thrill seekers to the point that you're got you guys do like this free climbing stuff? Like, or there?
0: <sighs> Hell no. This stuff goes
1: way over my head. Like from the first moment that the camera rolls in and you're seeing like the helicopter being dispatched and they see them on the that peak right there. I, it just, it gives me a little bit of a cringe, man. I just can't handle those heights.
0: Yeah, my hands got so sweaty watching uh, Sylvester Stallone, or maybe it was his stunt double, I guess, <laughs> doing uh, the, the like initial climbing in the movie as the helicopter is circling around, and he is just like free climbing. I, You know, I know it's all probably just like a matte painting in the background, but <laughs> <laughs> My hands were dripping.
1: Right, I know. So yeah, you made a, yeah. Gabe gets into the scenario here when they're trying to basically rescue Hal, who's what he's got a knee injury. You said right? Yes, yeah. a knee injury. Exactly. And Gabe just comes over the side of the cliff. Like I can't, I can't even describe what kind of like a, you know how it was juxtaposed out of like the mountain, but he just like comes right over it and. I give props to the cameraman because the cameraman did the right thing in this position, which was to show Sylvester Stallone doing the climb actually at this point because he did a bird's eye shot facing down towards the ground and showing like there's nothing under here. You know, there's no secret, you know, tarp or like there's cords or anything like that that Sylvester's like, you know, going to save his life if he fucks up. It's like, no, this guy's actually free climbing the side of the mountain
0: yeah that's right um yeah there was some good camera work there wasn't it
1: Mm -hmm. i mean (laughs) chalk it up to the colorado rockies though because how hard is it to mess up shots of such a beautiful freaking landscape but yeah the cameraman it must have been awesome riding around in those helicopters just basically just free shooting with the camera getting all those great shots of uh the the scene taking place
0: yeah this would have been fun to film on Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, so uh helicopter lands. Uh you know, they're all kind of joking around. You can tell Gabe and Hal have a history. Gabe's even, you know, met Sarah. They're like, hey, are we on for dinner later? That kind of stuff. So um, you know, they're Gabe and Jesse, they're pretty confident that you know they uh they have this rescue under control. And they um hook up a line. In order to uh, get Hal and Sarah across a uh, chasm, like
1: basically, yeah, fair. Good word. <laughs> no, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so the helicopter is on a separate peak from them, and basically, there's three, three people all together rescuing. There's Gabe, who's now with Sarah and Hal on the other peak where Hal's injured, that's going to rescue them, and then jesse and we can't forget old frank we can't forget frank that's in the back seat of the helicopter because he's doing all the the heavy working over there but they basically have this frank no can't forget him he i gotta be honest um what's his name uh, Paul Winfield right is that what it is that's Paul Winfield he just looked like uh, just a American made guy like he's at this point you know uh, he was pretty well he's like in his 50s or whatever like that but he just looks like he was made in for that rescue dispatch team like he, he would be on the front cover of the advertising poster just being like we want you to join the rescue dispatch because then I would join I would have to But but yeah, getting back to the story, getting back to the story, right? We got to make sure that they're safe. So Jesse and Frank are in the the helicopter and they got a tether going along. And basically Sarah and Hal are going to use their carabiners to just basically move on across. And Mm -hmm. they get get Hal to go first because he's got the major knee. And he's like is half joking with this and stuff like that. Yeah, he
0: does like a fake fall backwards to kind of, you know, start his way. Yeah, I mean, he's he's real, uh, you know, not taking this situation very seriously. He's
1: not at all. And uh, at this point, we also learn in the film that this is a date idea that Hal had with Sarah because Sarah and Gabe are obviously gabbing and some of that. You, like you said, it was very, it's very lighthearted in the face of danger type of moment. And, uh, but I don't know about you guys. I would never, I wouldn't even, not even now, not even like my relationship that I've been with for over like a year now, I would never take her on like this free climbing type of experience. That sounds too crazy, too much out of my book.
0: Yeah. That does not sound like a great date idea to me either, uh, <laughs> but to each their own, <laughs> to each
2: Maybe on a Kitty Mountain,
1: but not that 4,000 clip. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like... I totally agree. Put me on the Kitty Mountain, man. Like, if this is the main roller coaster of the, of the park, I want to be with the Caterpillar ride that only goes five miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Some might call <laughs> it a Where hill. Nope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, somebody didn't even call it a mountain. It would just be like a very big hill. Yeah, put me on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Gabe... Or, uh, Hal makes it successfully across. Yeah, Totally fine. You know, uh, Sarah, she gets all hooked in. Gabe hooks her in, you know, she's a little, um, she doesn't, you know, feel confident in herself going across, which who would, I mean, you know, it's a giant chasm. Um, and she, uh, is persuaded by Gabe telling her, Hey, everything's fine. You know, we're going to get out of the, you know, we're, we're going to have dinner later, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, makes it about halfway through and we start seeing a buckle on her uh you know safety harness uh start to twist crack and that causes everything to go to hell
1: yeah Um, it was crazy how that like one buckle that was by her hip that broke and like the whole cord just went around like unraveled it completely and then next thing you know she's she's hanging by some strings and you no know, grasping for life and stuff like that. But I just can't believe that. Like, you know, that was the one buckle that did not need to be broke. broken. <laughs> <I got> broken.
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know enough about climbing here to say whether that's uh realistic or not but uh it had me freaked out
1: so i i don't know in my personal opinion in this situation it could not get any worse because there's what can they really possibly do to save her like she's hanging by this like thin little rope and they're completely between two mountains that are thousands of feet up in the air like i don't even think in the best case scenarios right now that like her survival rate at this point is you know very high i think we're talking like even with all the things and everything that could have went possibly correct we're talking like a 5% 10% survival rate here
0: right and so yeah once this buckle fails all of her straps come loose and she is hanging by just you know, basically just hanging on to her harness in the middle of this, uh, line. And, um, Gabe has one, you know, uh, I did, and that's for him to, you know, go out and get her, Hal, her boyfriend with the bum knee has another, and that's for him to send his, uh, still intact line out to her. Gabe says, no, we don't have enough time. Hal screaming at Gabe. Um, uh, well, they both have headsets on, so maybe not screaming, but... <laughs> hey, hey,
1: it's a very high-intensity moment, but you're, to- yeah, you're totally right. Moment.
0: He's like, yeah. hey, you better not uh, like let her go, Gabe, because Gabe goes out himself on the line. Hal's uh, complaining The Gabe's too heavy, but... So anyways, Gabe gets out there, does a fireman hold on Sarah's arm, and uh, he is... I guess pleading with her to climb her way up him and, you know, get back on to holding the line for safety.
1: Yeah. Um, the Like I said, low
0: survival rate right here. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I think... Sorry, go ahead, Ben.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, I think that we all really. It was. Doom when we saw the puppy. Yeah, she
0: had the, the stuffed cat, animal that and... fell into the void.
2: Which, why? Why that is up there with them.
1: Yeah, some sort of comfort, I guess. But yeah, right when that puppy fell off her backpack, you know, we were we pretty much could summarize what happens next. But this is yeah. a stuffed
0: animal puppy listeners, not <laughs> <laughs> not a not a real puppy.
1: A <laughs> little chihuahua on the back of the backpack. They they took fit, like twelve thousand feet up in the air. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. but <laughs> But uh, I think we all know what happens next, guys. So, Gabe basically can't hold on much longer. She's holding; she has gloves on. She he actually doesn't let go. Like you know, he wasn't; he didn't really let go. She kind of like slipped out of the glove, kind of thing. Yeah,
0: it was slipping out of the glove that did her in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he couldn't hold her onto her, and uh, yeah, Sarah plummets down to her death. We don't see anything, but we do see a fall that, you know, I think it actually looks really good for for the movie in 1993. Yeah, I was about to say,
1: and we'll see them make more mention of it later on in the film because there's other falls down the mountains later on in the movie, but uh, they did a really good job with that. And I knew this part specifically, they really captured the moment that, yeah, basically – she was <laughs> Sarah Sarah was fucked. And the worst part was is that she was screaming Gabe as she went down. She's like, Gabe. And, and now you she, he can't help you anymore, girl.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh so um I mean we learned this a little bit later, yeah. but Gabe is overcome with guilt, takes an extended leave. Um but that was the opening to our movie, and men were my hands wrenched <laughs> Sweaty. Sweat day. what'd
1: you think I about gotta, that Ben
2: dude man I mean it, it, every time I see it I, I get those instances especially when they, they do a couple of shots yeah. of the fall right where they do it from like above but I think the one that really gets me is when they do that side view where they got like the mountain still in the background along with her falling and it looks so realistic and you're just like how did they get that shot? Because it doesn't look like it's too obviously. She didn't fall. The actress didn't fall to her death or anything. But just watching it, I think like it brings to mind, not to get out of like this movie, but I, when I watched Free Solo recently, yeah, I have never seen, seen that. That's a documentary, <clears throat> and he just goes up the mountain on his own, nothing whatsoever to help him, just free. Uh, You know, it makes me think of that all the time. Hands sweaty, feet drenched. Like, I'm getting sweaty right now just talking about it, but I guess that's...
1: Yeah. (laughs) We also have, like, baby soft skin when you think about it compared to a free rock climber with their feet and their hands. Like, they're literally... They just become, like calloused muscles so like i yeah we're sweating here and stuff like that i think we're going to slip on that but those guys don't have sweat glands in their hands and feet anymore (laughs) like literally those guys yeah they're they're basically one build-up callous callous hand and whatever but uh yeah. Super, super. You know what? I think what they did was, and I might be wrong, but <laughs> I think at least for a good idea for the film is that if they were going to have to show the that like falling aspect, I'm sure that like when they were shooting footage there, that they were able to speak with like the Colorado Rockies, the people that ran the national park that like, Hey, we're going to film here. And what if they were just throwing like dummy bodies off of the cliff and just filming those as it came down?
0: Yeah, I would assume that that's what they had to do. I mean, I don't see how you could. It 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 looked too good to be like a soundstage.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, or something in a studio that they just like you know managed to put something together in a studio. Yeah, that happened like on scene for sure. They were definitely on the mountain when they did that. So that would be my assumption at least. But um, you know, that's always a fun fact. You viewers could check out for yourselves if you wanted to. But you, uh, how long was Gabe on relief for? Like, because I remember Jesse said like it was like a year or before a year. It was like not too too long, but I guess a long time in considering.
0: Uh, I think just shy of a year. I'm seeing here eight months.
1: Right. right. Yeah, so basically, he left after the funeral.
0: Right. Um... Yeah. And so it takes a, uh, eight month extended leave. Uh, do we want to talk a little bit about what's going on at the, uh, U S treasury right after this scene?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, basically nothing's rule happened That's after that. Yeah. Nothing's happened after that point, except for the fact that Gabe, uh, he comes back to town, right? He, he just, he's going, he comes back into the Colorado town where he came from, where he left and, yeah basically nothing else has happened so far so yeah go on what happens at the u.s treasury what's going on in good old american government
0: well that's kind of the like setup for <laughs> the, the movie, <laughs> <because> <laughs> the <whole> movie. <laughs> but what if it was just a movie of gabe walker <laughs> dealing with his <laughs> his oppression <laughs> for eight months and nothing happens <laughs>
1: Just get the skill. Continue on with the story, man. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, so so we're we're set up with a, a plot of there's these three suitcases of uncirculated bills, um, you know, coming from the U.S. Treasury, valued over a hundred million dollars, and um, I we're set up to with a, a couple of characters here. I guess uh Richard Travers, um, he's the US Treasury agent, says, Hey, I've been doing this for I don't know what he said in the movie, twenty years or so, never had an issue. Um, but he has a uh seems like sort of a rookie FBI agent with him. You guys agree? I mean
1: Yeah, he he's a greenhorn. He definitely seemed greenhornish.
0: Yeah, I got that sense too when they were, you know, first making the introduction. Um and yeah, uh, it turns out that Richard Travers, uh, he went in on some of that sweet, cold, hard cash. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's, he's a turncoat. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is also where we're introduced to uh, Quaylen, who Eric Quaylen, who John Lithgow plays in the movie
1: exactly exactly so all during this time is basically it's basically happened all um we yeah we get discovered about the the basically the money and situation and stuff like that but at this point we're we're introduced to Quaylin and they're in the middle of their job right they're about to go he- heist up uh the planes right exactly
0: yep he's the leader of a gang of three thieves um And, yeah, so uh, they had this plot with uh, the Treasury agent, Richard Travers. Um, And, yeah, I mean, everything would have gone well um, because, yeah, they do take another plane and, uh, like, they're going to, you know, hijack this one. uh, And an escape plan gets backfired when, um, you know, the uh, sort of greenhorn FBI agent shoots – damages the hydraulics of the plane and uh it's sent down into the rockies sort of uh giving us a setup for this movie
1: yeah yeah that's basically what happens so even though that he was a greenhorn novice he actually is the one that pretty much puts the wrench in Quaylen's plans because they seemingly killed all the fbi agents and were just going to take the unmarked bills and they did a very you know they had that tether thing their tether was for the beginning of the movie with the helicopter to Hal and Sarah, but now they're doing a tether to another plane as well. That's being piloted by this, one of the um, robbers and they've managed to get the, or sorry, what Quailin goes all the way and the um, FBI, the U S treasury agent, Richard Tra- Travers. But then mm-hmm. once they're trying to send the money down, that's when the greenhorn FBI agent shoots him up and stuff like that. And, also like just goes to town with this machine gun. But of course, you know, they w- didn't want to leave any traces. So before Quaylen left, he set off a bomb in the plane. And so as the greenhorn was unloading bullets, making making his basically debut to the movie to try and stop the bad guys. Three seconds later, he just gets blown to hell. And, uh, while, the money is still on the tether line. Quaylen and the boys are trying to hold on to it, but it breaks free and all that goes down and into the mountains.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, they don't have possession of this briefcase. What they do have, though, are some uh, locator beacons um,
1: in the briefcase. Right in the, the
0: briefcase. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: What do you think about this plan so far, Ben? In terms of a like heist plan. This, I mean, at this point, I mean, it sounded good on paper, in my opinion, but the execution was entirely flawed.
2: I mean, you know, there's only a few ways that that could have gone wrong. And it
1: was... <laughs> <laughs> the man makes great points here. If there were a couple of ways all of them went wrong at the exact same time, which, I mean, he's right. I mean... First, they lose the money. Second of all, they didn't kill all the FBI agents. And then that FBA, FBI agent ends up taking down the, also the, the Crooks' plane because he shoots the hydraulic uh, fluid spot or whatever. I don't, I don't know how planes work, but they made sure to show that on camera. They're like, hydraulic fluid. Oh, man, it's leaking. Uh, <laughs> that and, plane's
0: bleeding. <laughs>
1: yeah, it really is. Yeah, it was red, so why not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But good point, Ben. Good point. These, I thought that, you know, there was only a few ways that they could have actually crafted this plan together, but man, poorly executed.
0: Yeah. I don't think they had a contingency plan either in case something went wrong. Uh, I mean, I guess guns were their contingency plan. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Cause uh, at this point, you know, we we, you know, they land on the ground um, basically the co-pilot's dead, but we're down to Quaylin. Travers, and I think it's like three or four of his cronies. and
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Right. And at this point, Quailen and Travers kind of have a, like, f- falling out. You know, it was supposed to be this plan that worked out perfectly. And, you know, but Richard Travers still has this, like sense that he's still a us agent i don't know if you guys noticed that but he's like oh yeah i'm still you know i'm still a U.S. agent. i'm just trying to get us the money for myself while well, quailen is taking on the definitely like the super villain-esque type vibe right now but it seems like they turned on each other and it's come to the point now that you know all they have left are like tons of arsenal which is guns c4 all this and, and of course the um i guess device whatever they were using their beacon locator device to find all the briefcases but other than that they get they managed to still have a working radio and the pilot puts in a distress call to who else but jesse and frank hanging out at the old uh ranger station
0: yeah that's right so yeah they, they put in a uh, fake distress call um and uh yeah it goes to a uh, Jesse and Frank and um they know that the uh with Gabe, I mean, still on his extended leave, um, they send Hal to go locate the climbers, uh But, you know, I think that they kind of wrangle Gabe into it saying, hey, nobody knows these mountains better than you. You know, can you help us out here? Yeah,
1: it was when, yeah, it was when Gabe goes and meets with Jesse because Gabe and Jesse are in a relationship, I guess. It wasn't made clear until he went back to her or whatever. But uh, yeah, basically, I guess Jesse kind of got under Gabe's skin a little bit because of you know, the storm coming and you got this plane down and you know the Rockies better than the rest, like you just said, and uh, really cutting him deep because even as big as Sylvester is, he was was kind of coming off like a pussy at the beginning of this film. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, I don't got the stuff no more. I take all the blame and everything like that. Even though, like, in hindsight, if, if you were in house shoes, other than the fact that Gabe like, went onto the tether to save Sarah, like, and Hal said, no, you shouldn't do that. Like, Gabe didn't do anything wrong. Like, if anything, Gabe was, like, the only chance Sarah really had to survival. And, like, but Hal has this, like, ferocious vendetta against Gabe about him being the one that, managed, that killed her, you know, in the end, which is... Kind of ridiculous in hindsight, especially with classic Hal taking up his girlfriend to go do some free climbing and then he's the one that gets injured. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. a little, it's a
0: little ridiculous. Yeah. Hal's definitely the one who's in the wrong.
2: And I think they, yeah, they really hit that point hard home too with, uh, with Gabe because a couple of times until we get to that point, you get those rando mountain climbers like the, the jabs of the movie um that are just like you know Gabe you lost your nerve and then like even Jesse says when she's recruiting him to do this what is it man like why are you why are you not doing this, exactly
1: man? he didn't have the spine for it
2: he, he's getting hammered with that that guilt
1: Mhm. definitely feeling it he is definitely feeling the old uh the chest area where the heart's be supposed to be but either way it seems that regardless jesse manages tw- to twist gabe's arm because while hal is scaling like the south side of the slope he can scale it from the north side and meet up with him and uh, eventually they do meet up on the side of the mountain but all during this time like hal's like still got that vendetta and they try to talk it out for an instant, but you know Hal can't be reasoned with, and almost like kills Gabe,
0: holds <laughs> him. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like really one so like, further. <laughs>
1: yeah, he's really taking this anger to like new heights and levels. He's really trying to fester as you know as much as he possibly can, because at this point he's like, "I'm just going to throw him off the ledge," and he's like, "No, you're not worth it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not a murderer." But thanks goodness he didn't because Hal is in uh, – both of them are are in for a sticky situation here.
0: Yeah, and that situation is they do meet up with, uh, you know, the people who put in the distress call and figured out that it was fake. What? Yeah, what?
1: <laughs> what? And, and, you and know, the-
0: played by uh, <laughs> Quailin Travers <laughs> and the gang of thieves. And, yeah, they are uh, they are taken prisoner. Um by them, you know, held a uh, hostage with guns and uh basically say, "Hey, guide us to where this uh beacon is taking us."
1: Yeah, they didn't they didn't take even a hesitation to really get down to the dirty business. It wasn't like, "Oh, they weren't going to try and keep up the facade anymore." No, they were like we're robbers. You're our hostages. Here's a bunch of guns to prove it. Like, you know, we're gonna now lead us off of the mountain. You're gonna help us find. <laughs> you're gonna help us find these briefcases and save our lives.
0: It's probably Quaylin's accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what?
1: Exactly. <laughs> Go to the Rockies. <laughs> but yep. So um, the first thing we come across is, well, they're all still together, right? And they just came across their first case right the first case and it's way way at the top of the peak at this point where there are at the mountain and they're on this little like rock ledge and I gotta be honest like I know that you know there's a possibility that Gabe or Hal could escape during this time but these criminals are being (laughs) straight assholes to the, the Hal and Gabe here like you know Gabe can't even put on his jacket like he's going to go out to free climate at gunpoint. He's got to go up there all the way alone. But um, what made me laugh yeah. the most in this movie, Michael,
0: I think these might not be good people.
1: <laughs> you got a point, but I'm just saying, like,
0: I got that sense.
1: <laughs> they are bad people. But the the point is that, like, they're just even though they want to get these guys to help them get off the mountain. They're not doing a very good job of trying to keep them alive. That's true. You know, and they, they could do, they could be doing a little bit of better job to help the Sherpas help them to get to the bottom instead of trying to get Gabe to freeze to death while he free scales a mountain side, you know, things along those lines, just food for thought.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, you know, I think they have a sense that, you know, hey, if we help these people get the three cases, they're just going to kill us anyways. Right. there, um, was,
1: I, I do remember there was like a little unspoken like eyeball to eyeball between Gabe and Hal being like, hey, this
0: this is a sketchy situation. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so what happens with Gabe next? He's just climbing up the mountain, right? Basically.
0: Well, right. Yeah, they do lead them to the first case um and yeah that's up on you know a steep rock face uh and yeah gabe is the one who's tethered forced to climb up and get the case um but uh right oh go ahead
1: no i was just gonna say this is the first time that gabe actually i guess fully understands what is what the bad guys are looking for Because, you know, Gabe climbs the top of the mountain and sees that it's a suitcase full of cash and and everything. But uh, all during this time that he's free climbing this mountain, the bad guys are like, hurry up, man. I can't believe this guy's not here yet. And then it comes to a point where they're finally like, you know what? I don't think we need two guys to, you know, lead us off of the mountain and help us find the cases and that's when how like you were just about to say shouts up to gabe to be in like they're gonna try and kill you they're gonna try and kill you and um uh, all during this time gabe's tethered like you were saying to uh a rope so the bad guys know that he couldn't run away but mm-hmm. he manages to pull off like a good 2v1 sylvester sloan versus the average man thrusting competition and Actually, like destroys the rope, right? He he gives it a good, like, clamoring with some snowshoes. I think it was. He just finds some snowshoes and starts batting at it.
0: Yeah, something sharpish. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, sorry. exact. That's the rope. Something what was that?
2: I, I think it was something that he just had that, like, you know, they tell they him to basically go up there in their t shirt, but I think they forgot that he had this, like, one thing to help him climb up the mountain. And then he right. Up the rope. So I don't know. Yeah, so it, it could have been. Rough.
1: It was definitely yeah. It was definitely just his sharp snowshoes, or because I don't I don't know about you guys. I could definitely not do the side of that mountain without some snowshoes on it. I It's not even like I could do it anyways, but it seems <laughs> even more impossible without the snowshoes. But he manages to kill the to cut the line, so he's not tethered to these guys anymore, and. <laughs> i don't know what this guy was thinking one of the henchmen but he just starts unloading his rifle up there to try
0: and like shoot him down they only have one solution (laughs) it's guns (laughs) when anything goes wrong and it's guns exactly so yeah one of the thieves just you know fires on gabe but that causes an avalanche
1: right he's not just shooting bullets on the top of a cliff where that noise will reverberate and might cause an avalanche, but he's also shooting projectile grenades up to the top of this mountain to try and kill Sylvester Stallone. I just think it's like, what a like desperate, desperate act to just being like, and I can't believe that none of his other compatriots were like, dude, maybe you shouldn't be firing that rifle on top of a very steep cliff. where like, we only have about five feet of like walking path here. You know, no one thought that was a bad idea. But guns, guns are good ideas. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, he just knew that Sylvester Stallone was that worthy. Of like, their, uh, he was.
0: Yeah, they knew. They had seen Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, they were
1: like that. They were just like, hey, does this <laughs> does this Ranger look familiar? I mean, I feel like I see him in like the boxing ring once or something like that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So they, they're convinced at this point that, uh, you know, okay, well, we took care of that guy, Gabe. Um, Hal, go ahead and take us to these other cases. Uh, right. little to know, Gabe's still alive,
1: um, right? And uh, he, they also lost their first case as well. So there goes a well, third right. a third of their fortune because that avalanche. I thought at this point Sylvester Stallone is like okay so the avalanche is about to occur and he holds the briefcase above his head which I was like hey man that's not bad thinking because you don't want to get bumped on the head by a rock or something like that as the avalanche is coming but nope he takes his only safety and then just chucks it off the mountain <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't need this money and he just leaves it and it goes But you're able- no want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need safety man I got clocked in the head I got clocked in the head and rocky enough to <laughs> I don't feel pain anymore from these small rocks. <laughs> yeah, man so, yeah. Uh,
0: so Gabe does go ahead and uh, finds Jesse and uh, downloads her on what's going on.
1: Right, so Hal is stuck with the the bad guys again and basically is trying to lead them to the other case, but this time Gabe scales another crazy mountain because this guy is a free climbing one man machine. And now not only is he still free climbing, he's doing it in a t-shirt and no gloves, but he manages (laughs) to get his way to um, uh, some sort of like mountain, like uh, a cottage. It also seemed to be kind of like a historical point, you know, because they had all those like uh, display cases and kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it had some very dated mountain nearing gear. Yeah, behind display cases. But uh, it still works, I guess. Right. So it's exactly. than nothing.
1: Right. And during this time, you know, we were Hal was supposed to be checking in with Frank and Jesse. And um, I guess also Jesse realized that Gabe might also might have gone up the mountain. Frank dropped her off. Um at this like really nice point, you know, easy for her to walk to. And so funny enough is Gabe gets there first, but it's then Jesse who walks in on him, right? And realizes like, oh, okay. Uh that yeah, this is this is what's happening. This is what's going down.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um no those two are together. You're right. They do uh, recover some, you know, old gear, but you know, it's uh allows them to get to that second case faster.
1: Right. Uh, And and, and just to make it clear, we're talking about a like 85 year old sweater, just so that Sylvester Stallone doesn't freeze to death, even though it's got a bunch of holes in it. And then also this rope that's like just as old, looks dainty and stuff like that. But they're going to go beat these guys to the second case so that they can i don't know destroy it or whatever comes next in the in the movie
0: yeah and beat those guys to the case they do because by the time uh quailen gets to the case um there's only a single bill left in it and uh that bill says want to trade on it so they're basically saying hey give us how back we'll give you the money Some portion of this money yeah
1: at least i i mean it's like 33 million if it's a 100 million dollars in total it's like 33 million dollars so uh, it sounds like a good trade to me it sounds like a, i mean call, call me a skeptic but uh, you know i would have i would have you know put, i would have gone that i would have gone for curtain number a current <laughs> <Curtain> letter a
0: <laughs> that'd be a deal for me <laughs>
2: Yeah, and they were being nice and about it too. I mean, they built them that snowman. Like they should have known that they they were nice. Exactly, before.
1: exactly. But Quaylen is not a nice guy, Ben. We've already gone over this. <laughs> he,
0: I'm coming around on him. <laughs> oh,
1: God, <I> keep <laughs> My bad. But yeah, um, well, I can't believe just to talk more about how cold it must be. This the next scene takes place at night, and just like. If Sylvester Stallone is making it through this with just his, you know, his handy 80-year-old sweater, I can't imagine how cold he must be in this scenario.
0: <laughs> Have you seen how buff he is, Michael?
1: Right. I guess so. I guess. I mean, he's a buff man. That, all he is that,
0: insulated.
1: <laughs> he's, yeah. Basically, he's like he's like a, a otter. He's like an otter. You know, all that fur, except it's actually muscle. It just insulates all that warmth in there.
0: Yeah, he cracks clams on his belly to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> like a normal person does,
1: as you know. As you do <laughs> All
0: right, so what's happening in this
1: scene, man? What's going on here? Is Quaylen making the trade?
0: No, Quaylen, Quaylen doesn't do things by other people's books. books. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he, uh, he he still has some men with guns, and he, uh, he tells them to split up um and it's at this point that uh you know gabe is able to dispatch two more of these uh thieves mm-hmm. um oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: no no you're absolutely right so i think at this point uh we come across that all of the gear that they must have had for this um route i guess like you know supposed to, supposed to be easy in easy out type of uh money's uh, situation by robbing the airplane. they have all this extra loot including you know, like guns C4 and they have night vision goggles as well. So at this point you know Gabe is trying to run away with um, Jesse but is getting chased by uh, one of the bad guys essentially with uh, night vision goggles and is running them down. And at this point, you know, Gabe luckily managed to find a flare from all that digging. They did in the abandoned cabin and gave him the old bright blinding light into the face of the bad guy and uh, manages to basically fight him off. But this part was also kind of gruesome. This, I mean, you know, a lot of fights, a lot of punches thrown and everything like that. But it comes down to a point where they're like sledding. they basically fighting and wrestling amongst each other down the side slope of this mountain. And Sylvester Sloan gets him in a point where he's like pushing his face into the ice. I just – imag- I imagine that feeling like glass when I like was looking at that.
0: Yeah, that is pretty gruesome. I, and I do wonder, I mean, was this – I always kind of just assumed that this movie was PG thirteen, but it might have been R.
1: Uh I don't know. There weren't any Some nudity. Stuff. There wasn't any boobies in there, so I think we could have kept it out of the R realm. But
0: Sylvester's still loaded boobies.
1: <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> Hot dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of boob there. Like he's showing off a lot. But yeah. <laughs> basically this guy after getting his face just basically like ripped apart by this ice. He just darts off this mountain and just like slides into the great dark abyss while uh, Gabe manages to, I don't even know where he got this um, ice pick from. I think he pulled it off of the bad guy and just manages to save himself through all the, all the craziness. But thank goodness, man. Thank goodness that Gabe, once again, he's, he's taking these, uh, these bad guys apart.
0: Yeah, he's crafty. Uh, I mean, and I do like it when, I mean, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about, I mean, you know, Sylvester Stallone at this point, already a big action star. And then you had the other action stars at this time being, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I guess Bruce Willis was, you know, had already done a couple of diehards by this point, but I do. Sorry, what? Russell? Russell? Oh, Kurt Russell.
1: Yeah. Mm, right.
0: Definitely. You know, I think it, back in the 80s, it was enough just to have like a buff lead character do stuff. And then by this time in the 90s, it, you know, it wasn't enough. Like, you know, they also had to have like a, a setting like this of, you know, like being in the Rockies. And I'm so glad that, like, you know, basically any time that he's, like, dispatching um, any of these henchmen, it's with, like, climbing gear and stuff like that. It would have been so easy for them just to, like, have Sylvester Stallone snapping necks. <laughs> 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 you know, they're actually, I think, trying to do yeah. something here with Cliffhanger. You know, it, it everything kind of ties back into, like, you know, what a, what a great uh, climber he is.
1: 100% agree. I 100% agree with that statement. Like I was saying earlier in the episode before, I think, I've, you know, even it is falling in that action and adventure type movie. It is kind of in its own little, you know, sub realm of that genre, because, you know, it is climbing gear we're talking about. You don't know, come across tons of climbing movies. I mean, they're, we already know a few off the top of our heads and stuff like that. But Uh, does as an idea as to throw in free climbing and also like this um, crime investigative, you know, like kind of fight for your life type of thing. It's definitely a, uh, it makes for one good uh, film cocktail.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And so it's at this point that uh, Gabe is able to uh, call to Frank.
1: Uh yeah, I think that's what happens. Exactly. So basically they escape the bad guys, manages to put a call out to Frank. Um and He's piloting
0: the helicopter. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So um oh wait, no, I don't think no, because Gabe can't put a call out to Frank because he tries to. I remember he tries to, but the um The mercenaries radio I remember it explodes isn't that how it is because Gabe and Jesse have to run from falling debris so they managed to escape safely but they managed they were trying to get a hold of Frank but they couldn't get a hold of him
0: well I thought they did alert him
1: no no because what happens is is that Frank later on the film he hasn't heard back from Gabe or Hal or any of the others he goes to scout's the, the mountain in his helicopter. He oh, goes,
0: right. He's going yeah, out, that's when. Right. He's
1: going he's out strapped. there and trying to call them and everything like that. Yeah, exactly. So Jesse and Gabe at this moment, I mean, night falls, they've managed to find themselves in uh, a cave and they're using the money that they took from the second case to stay alive basically trying to warm up and everything like that. Again, the resilience of Sylvester Stallone not reaching hypothermia right now is just simply, it's it's hypnotic. I just want to see how long he can last. (laughs) But uh, basically, it comes to a point right now that uh, Hal is reaching uh, a point in the mountain where he comes across those two chabras, as Ben was putting (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> chabras,
1: <laughs> chabras. So yeah, at the beginning, Chabra. these two hippie dudes want to go up to the top of the mountain to go. um What's that called when you 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 scale? Yeah, I mean they were they were like skydiving, but they were they were like
0: base jumping. Oh. Base
1: jumping. That's yeah, right. base jumping. That's they, it. they were base jumping, and so they base jump. But all during this time, there's this uh there's storms happening on the mountain, so they are forced to tent up, and they can't leave the mountain like they were planning to. But um, they run into Hal, and basically, these kids are like, you know, hey, are you touring with these guys, or we're we're gonna jump the mountain one more time and everything like that. But Hal breaks this treaty that he made with Quaylen. Was like, hey, you know, Quaylen, don't shoot these kids; they're just kids. And Quailen's like, Hey, we're not monsters here. We're, you know, we can be civilized. And Hal's like, no guys run away. And of course, immediately when that happens, they start opening firing on them. And one of the kids gets massacred, like three bullets in the back, but one, another one manages to escape. And he's,
0: yeah, skis off the mountain. And then he, he does use that parachute that they have yeah, for the, uh, basically cliff jumping. Just
1: running and everything like that. And he gets his parachute out and then he makes a leap of faith off to it. And, He manages to stay alive, but he falls right into a tree and it's basically hanging from his parachute at the top. And then, like you were saying before, this is where Frank is out and Frank is scouring the mountain looking for any sign of Gabe or Hal or anything like that. He comes across Evan's parachute and he manages to scare off some wolves that were like basically barking at his feet. He puts good old Frank man with his Walter Walter PP seven or whatever like that. He's got his Texas Ranger pistol up. He fires a couple of rounds in the air to scare off the old wolves like an American hero. <laughs>
0: i did think that parachuting scene was a pretty cool way to escape though
1: yeah but at the same time though like it was one of the henchmen yeah well it didn't work out of course but it was um travers was chasing after the boy with one of the henchmen and the henchmen totally could have just like laid some more bullets out and got maybe cut the parachute or something like that but I guess he was just like pissed off at Travers and was just like, nah, I'm not going to shoot this kid. I'm not going to shoot him, but I, I don't know. Later on in this film, the same henchman turns into a bloodthirsty maniac. So I'll we can continue on to that part after this. But uh, yeah, so Frank finds this kid and Gabe and Jesse make it alive. And they're basically, for this part, still you know, uh, in that cave.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. And uh, yeah. So, yeah, they stay in the cave overnight in the morning. uh, They do head out to the last case um, and they're able to make it there first again. Um, is
1: just, well, oh, right. <laughs> I was about to say, I was about to say, like, man, Quail is doing a terrible job getting these cases, but I, I, of course, Hal is leading them on, like, this really, really long route to try and, like, cut their time because he knows Gabe and Jesse are trying to help or whatever, like that.
0: So. Yeah, Hal's fucking them over.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Hal's throwing them up and everything like that. But yeah, Gabe and Jesse. He's getting his redemptive arc. They're killing it. They, they cut to the last, I remember, they cut to the last uh, case and they have to go through this, like, um, cut in the mountain where it's like, you know, basically one of those like narrow cracks where you can like cut through and stuff like that. And uh, Gabe manages to get out of there and everything like that. But, um, he comes across, um, oh my gosh, one of the henchmen, the bloodthirsty henchman. I don't even know if they gave him a name, uh, Travers. Sorry. No, it's not Trav- it's Travers. Funny.
0: Not Travers. Uh, That's the U.S. Travers. Ben, it
1: says being a lifelong fan, who was the name of the black henchman that with the the boxing? He had the bare knuckle box knuckles knife with him.
0: Do you know him? Kinet?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure his name is. Canetta? Canetta. Like- K- Canetta, Canet. something like that.
0: Yes. That's what I'm seeing
1: here. Something like that. But basically, yeah, he comes across Gabe and manages to um, fight him off. And so at this point, Gabe Gabe has almost had it. I think Gabe is Gabe is getting Bruce Lead upon with the amount of karate this kinetic guy knows.
0: Yeah, he's finally met his match. I, he really did.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, boxing is one thing for Sylvester Stallone, but he never signed up for this Taekwondo thing that Kaneda was doing because when in this icy cave that they're in right now, he is just wrecking them. And even a even better point to, um, I guess, Kaneda's character and also for the director to think of this part up in the story was that when Jesse manages to. Grab the pistol that Gabe knocked out of Kenetta's hands and stuff like that. She aims it at him, and it's got no bullets in it. So uh, a nice little twist that I thought made a little, nice little spark in this fight scene.
2: Yeah, it's something like that. You.
1: Yeah, out. and like how many other times has like there been bullets exactly. in the gun, you know? And then they then the girl saves, you know, the main hero's day, you know, saves his life for that one moment. Yeah, it's a good twist. It's a nice little twist. It's right, a nice yeah. little twist. But at this point, um, Quaylen's trying to call on Kaneta to basically get them back with the rest of the people because they tried to cross this bridge that Hal led them to, and they're setting up to the point where you know they know Gabe's hot on the trail, so they're doing things like booby trapping the. Uh, the bridge, the walk, the bridge across and everything like that. And they're going to just make their getaway, but he's playing with his food, which I think is, you know, such a rookie villain mistake to do, even though what well, you had, like, he seemed like Canada had all the cards, you know, he didn't realize that Gabe was going to grab him by the testes and then literally lift him up into a, a slag or flag might. I, I don't even know which one it was, but like very gruesome death.
0: Yeah, that was a gruesome death. Yeah, Canada got his. He did. He got. <laughs> he
1: got his for sure. But at the same oh time, though, like I just kept like imagining that scene in my head. Like, first of all, like I can't believe that Sylvester Stallone manages to like you know lift this person above his head, like falls on about to give him like the pile drive, but instead he like forcibly pushes him into like a slag type from the top of the mountain, uh, the top of the cave. That was just like, I just <laughs> thought like, "Wow, that went zero to a hundred very, very quickly.
0: Oh, absolutely. Speaking of zero to 100, should we talk about the death That's of Frank?
1: We're, ah, we're almost there. We're basically almost there. Like uh, at this point, you know, we're not um Gabe and Jesse still need to try and cross that uh, bridge of theirs, and they cross the tripwire, and basically that whole thing explodes. So they got cut off from uh, the lead that they had with Quailin. But yes, Matt, Matt, you can just tell us all about what transpires next with Frank.
0: Well, Frank is just too good of a guy. <laughs> He's too American made. And, you know, he knows something's going on. You know, he, he found uh, the, you know, parachutist guy, uh, you know, before. So, you know, he he knows some shit's going down. And Qualen's mercenaries, those meanies, (laughs) they flag down Frank, but it's a trap. And they take Frank and they shoot him.
1: Oh my gosh, I know. Well, okay, at this point, though, it's it's ridiculous because um, we got Frank here who's trying to answer this um, uh, smoke flare, basically, that came up on the top of the mountain. And, and he's just being his good old rescue range yourself. But um, Hal is, like, trying to scream. He's like,
0: Frank, no, Frank,
1: Frank. It was a real heart jerker. But, he, of course, Frank can't hear him over the propellers and everything like that. And also, Quailen's got, like, his boot on his neck. So, really, like, I'm telling you, these guys – might have been it for the money, but they are crossing the fence on some really super villain S type of main <laughs> Like, foot on neck, you know, we're going to make sure that you watch your friend die. And everything thought like that all they were missing was a diabolical laugh. And we would have just turned this movie into a PG movie and <laughs> it would have been labeled like Sylvester and the Cliffhangers, and like that.
0: It worked. <laughs> and petting a hairless cat.
1: <laughs> exactly. This would have came out of like Warner Brothers instead or something like that. It's the tri-star. But uh yeah. So basically <laughs> the girl of the mer- the girl mercenary, can't remember her name, she basically um tricks Frank, who's like, I'm just trying to help you, we're in distress. But then we got this guy Delmar, who is a, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he is a, he's just as bloodthirsty. I'm telling you, these guys are killers and he's got um, basically Frank in his sights with a semi machine gun and how manages to get un, out of under Quaylen's boot and start trying to run towards Frank again, how just like doing the wrong thing at the wrong moment. Like first it was the, chabra guys where he's like run away kids and then he he was the cause for one of their deaths when it could have just been like these guys could have just base jumped and you know it could have just been over with and now he's trying to run towards frank and delmar is just like unloads four bullets into poor old american-made frank
0: yeah actually i think the villain of this movie is how
1: yeah, Hal is his own worst enemy. If not from the beginning with Sarah and a terrible first date. But,
0: taking an inexperienced climber up.
1: Exactly. And now he's the cause of two of his friends' deaths because of his own outbursts. Uh, it, he's a real he's a real card. We'll just call him a card for now. But he's get he's getting there. He's getting on my case. But all during this time, though, <laughs> importantly enough, Frank last final action before he passes on to the great beyond is he passes um Hal a knife that he had in his back pocket or something like that so Hal now has a secret weapon that he can basically use <laughs> against these guys with submachine guns and c4 and all the other stuff
0: right and he does use it i mean he he does use that knife with uh del mar and uh That's how he gets the upper hand on him.
1: Yeah. So essentially at this point in the movie, um, Travers and Quaylen have been against each other from the start. And he does, basically they're at a point of just survival. And so Travers, I'm pretty sure just wants to get off the mountain. He's like, look, these guys are crazy. People are dying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, We've (laughs) lost money. (laughs) Exactly. And we've lost two thirds of the money. Two thirds of the money's gone. And so he's like, let's just get off. And Quaylen, who's already in a penny and a pound type of scenario, he murders the woman pilot. He kills her in cold yeah. blood just because. Crystal. Crystal. Yeah, she did not deserve that one. But she got um, basically bamboozled by Quaylen because between her and Quaylen, they were the only other helicopter pilots on the mountain. So now with Travers being like, Hey, he puts a code on the beacon locator. He had that only could be opened by him to try and get the upper hand. Quaylen evens a playing field again, because it says, Hey, you either help me or none of us are getting off this mountain. So it's, yeah. Quaylen's a smart one. He's a diabolical genius, but he's the, really the only one that has some sort of brain on his shoulders.
0: He really is. Yeah. It's uh <laughs> they know that they need each other, but I think Travers also knows that as soon as he's done his part, the Qualin's gonna kill him too. So
1: Right. It's definitely at that point. You know, if he's gonna kill the pilot, the girl, now it's you know, he's got nothing else. So basically yeah, but, but what were you gonna say, Ben?
2: is gonna say like basically the whole their whole relationship the whole movie like he, travers has never touched trusted Quaylen from the beginning but yet he somehow decided to help them to try and get this money that for some odd reason right never thought well he that's actually
1: interested. that's a great point that you make because it's it's kind of the flaw of being a criminal because how many criminal movies do we know where it's all based on trust Mobsters have to trust one another in order to not, you know, no one's going to be a snitch. No one's going to be a snake and rat on the cops to your fellow mobster member. But by a definition of a criminal, you're not trustworthy. So how could you gain trust from untrustworthy people? It's a flawed system that criminals live by. So, you know, you, you can say that there wasn't trust there to begin with, but, you know, there was never trust to start.
0: Oh, yeah, it's like that opening bank heist in The Dark Knight.
1: Right, exactly. So then, the Joker, the <laughs> They Joker,
0: keep on killing I, each other off.
1: All these henchmen are just popping each other off until it's like the Joker, who's the only one that's left, that comes away with the money. Yeah, <laughs> it's a ridiculous. But, yeah, now at this point, Quaylen is sitting in the helicopter waiting for Travers and Delmar to go find the last uh, briefcase full of money. And, uh, at this point, Hal is also leading them to how to get there safely. But at that point, Delmar and, uh, Travers are like, let's just kill Hal. We don't, we don't need Hal at this point anymore. He found us the last case. He's a dead man. But for some reason, Travers is like, let's do it quietly. Let's not do it. Let's let's not make this death really, really loud. Don't use your gun is basically what he's saying. So, uh, based, yeah, he's
0: got a headache. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, can, can we just uh, get done with this? I haven't taken my so, motrin
1: I don't have an aspirin up here. So you got to do it quietly. And uh, <laughs> here we are. This with- is
0: where Frank's knife comes into play.
1: Exactly. So Delmar, being another fellow Englishman and another bloodthirsty mercenary, because everyone just has a taste for blood and Quaylan's gang, is basically kicking the shit out of Hal. And Hal's like trying to put up a tough front, but uh, Delmar gets him with a few quick ones, and uh, now he also has that brass knuckle knife of his as well. But uh, he he starts making up like a soccer analogy. He's like, "Oh, we got the Delmar here, the English, <laughs> the English striker. He's coming out lined up for the shot, and he just keeps putting in like right foots into Hal's face." And so the point where Hal's basically hanging over the side of the cliff and he manages to slip the knife right onto Delmar's leg. And as Delmar's leaning over, he's got a shotgun latched to his back. And um, Hal pulls the shotgun off his back, loads it. And um, Ben, can you hit, a, hit us with the, uh, the the one-liner that Hal gives to Delmar? Do you, do you even know it? Do you know it?
2: You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad
1: boy, bad boy, Ben, and yeah, he gives. Not only does he fall off the cliff, but he just takes a shotgun to straight, straight to the chest. But yeah, so good on Hal. Hal's got one kill under his belt, while Hank's, uh, Gabe's got two, and Quaylen's got two of his own as well. Because you know, he he's, he he wants to get on the scoreboard as well. I know,
0: man. Everybody's stats are pumped.
1: Yeah. So who do we really have left here? We got Quailin and Travers, Travers. And that's Quaylen. it, right?
0: As far as the bad guys.
1: As are, far as so. the bad guys are left, right? So at this point, um, actually, you know what, Ben? Do you remember what happens later on in this part of the film? Do you want to maybe take a second and run us a little bit through the plot? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Please. Oh, yeah. All right. How What happens next with Gabe? Because I think Gabe comes across Travers next, right?
2: He does. So Travers, you know, he has his his beacon that he's, he's got all those codes for and he's like searching for that last case. Meanwhile, you know, the whole movie Gabe and Jesse, they're getting to the case ahead of them. So they find out where that case is. And then, you know, Gabe, he hears something. He hears some rustling by this last case. He's like, what is it? What is it? Then he sees a hole, and so, like, leads you to assume that there's some type of animal in that hole. So cuts to Travers. Travers sees this beacon starting to go all types of crazy. Like, it's going from one area to the next area. It's walking around. (laughs) I don't understand what's happening. Like, what what are my codes telling me? Like this cannot be. I love what you're doing what's here. Going on right now, you know, technology <laughs> of the '90s, is, it's perfect. So <laughs> he he's just like, what is going on? So he finally figures out where the where the case is because he can hear the beeping. He knows he's close. He can hear the beeping of the tracker, and it's attached to this little rabbit. Good old craft. <laughs>
1: This Are you calling it a rapper? <laughs> I heard
0: rabbit too. <laughs> it, like... The rabbi rabbit. The <laughs> rabbi rabbit. Rapper rabbit.
2: <laughs> Midwestern uh, accent getting the better of me, but uh, he he <laughs> to that to that rabbit, and uh, it's it's him for a loop. And you know you know we've been talking about it. We've been talking about it. Guns, 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 baby. So Travers, in all of his anger, just tries unloading on the sweet little rabbit because he's so angry that you know Gabe has once again gotten the better of them. And
1: yeah, honestly, yeah, good on Gabe.
0: Yeah, he's
1: no, he he's not. He's a U.S. Treasurer agent, man. He's not a he's not a gunsman. But um, <laughs> it's pretty amazing because I yeah, it's we. Come across Gabe and his craftiness once again, but I can't believe he manages to catch a rabbit out of his hole in like his natural habitat. Like that rabbit was slipping when it came to Sylvester Stallone.
0: I want to say that he probably wakes up each morning and just bluebirds come and land on him, and
2: rabbit and deer.
0: (laughs) So it was probably pretty easy. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I think I think it goes back to there's some must be some type of crossover between this movie and rocky where where yes cuts the chickens, oh that's true really
0: a rabbit,
1: mm-hmm. this is
0: all in the same universe
1: wise wise yeah.
2: <laughs> but but yeah yes good old good old gabe gets the better of uh you know that, that
1: right and yeah and it comes to a point where they come across it's like an old abandoned mine it looks like uh, at least from my knowledge, I mean, you know, like, there's no big sign that says abandoned mine right there, but that's what it looks like, and I guess Travers is I, I have no idea how he possibly could be trying to find Gabe right now. He's basically just going off hunches right now, doing everything, because he can't go back to Quaylen without the cakes, because of course, Quaylen would probably just shoot him anyway, so this man with his own anger towards Gabe and his fear towards Quaylen, he's Yeah, he's in basically desperation mode. And I did not understand Gabe's thinking and this surprise attack. But as Travers is walking across this wooden planks and stuff like that, Gabe pulls from below him underneath the planks and pulls him down. But unsuccessfully for the most part and Sylvester Stallone ends up falling into the frozen river like the man's not already cold enough boys like I cannot stress this enough it's freaking me out a little bit how uh, unfazed Sylvester Stallone is to cold <laughs> like he's <laughs> he's been now over 48 hours on top of a mountain cliff with not, nary a jacket to be found and now he's drenched in a like a frozen river and he still manages to, you know, uh, come away with this unscathed because he is
0: absolutely losing some appendages at the end of this movie.
1: <laughs> yes. There's some serious frostbite about to happen guys, but
0: uh, <laughs> thank goodness. The cliffhanger is how many appendages will he lose? <laughs>
1: <laughs> how many, fi- how many fingers is he holding onto that cliff left with? Cause it's not going to be a lot. <laughs> right but basically this is where Hal actually has one of his only good moments his only good qualities of the film because he comes to Gabe's safety and manages to shoot down Travers who seemed to have the jump on Gabe because Gabe was again underneath the ice in the water but you know <laughs> good old uh, Hal gives him like a jacket or he gives him like his sweater vest so Sylvester Sloan will be fine <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. After this, uh, Jesse does get taken hostage by Quaylen. Um, yep. She goes to the helicopter thinking it's Frank who's flying it. Uh, so, yep, Quaylen once again has the upper hand. You know, he's the only bad guy left, so he needs some sort of
1: leverage. leverage. Exactly. And, yeah, that's exactly the same time that Gabe and Hal managed to call Quaylen um through Travers' radio that he had and basically was trying to get him to say, hey, it's over. You know, we we got the upper hand. You got nothing left. And you guys don't have – we have the money as well. But, yeah, exactly. Quaylen hits him with the old left hook like Quaylen likes to do and tells him that he's got Jesse Hosses now. So Mm -hmm. it comes to a point where they lead them up to uh, a cliff face, some uh, mountain peak. And basically they're going to do a trade or uh, Jesse's going to get the bullet to the face. And this, again, the way that I feel like this movie has a consistent uh, theme of plans that don't go awry. They go, they, they plans that go awry. I mean, plans that do not go as they should be from the start of the heist to, you know, the, very, very beginning to the date that turned into the death of a girlfriend. And now here we are at the very end of the movie and, um, Gabe is trying to coerce Quaylen, who's in the helicopter to fly closer and closer to Gabe. So he can throw the money to him safely all right next to this makeshift metal ladder that must've been placed there years past for climbers to get up to that mountain peak. And basically he. Gabe just tosses the money and it hits the um, helicopter propellers and just blows into a fury of shredded
0: cash. Yeah, that annoyed me too because like, yeah, I guess Quaylen just doesn't think these things through.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's got about 95% of the plan down pat, but he can't handle that last 5%. That's crucial at the end for how it goes. Yeah, and,
0: like he couldn't have seen that coming,
1: <laughs> right? So, but um, there was some sort of tether, right, Ben? Can you tell us how the rest of the movie goes?
2: Yeah, so you know, you got you got uh, the two having their exchange, Quaylen and Gabe, and I think this is one part that I just really like where they're having this exchange because I, I highlighted it. <laughs> Quaylen goes uh, to Gabe. he goes, he calls him, You're a real piece of work. And, uh, and Gabe replies, Well that must mean you're a real piece of shit. <laughs> that, that settles it, kinda. Of. But then after you know the, the case explodes, the case explodes in the air, he takes that tether and he attaches it to the metal ladder that is just happens to be on that cliff, and then like he you know you have uh you have Qualen that's apparently loses it tries to attack uh Gabe when he's running away from it but he gets stuck because of the tether and then it somehow gets connected to Gabe
1: Gabe falls Gabe onto on. the ladder when he's trying to avoid getting hit by the helicopter with Quailan because Quailan's trying to fly away with Jesse and he falls onto the helicopter or I'm sorry onto and the ladder
2: that's it that's it. They fall. They fall down, and then uh, of course they they couldn't just end it where the the helicopter explodes. They have to have that final confrontation between Quaylen and Gabe, and a hand to hand combat. It not was the final showdown.
1: <laughs> showdown. I'm really digging these extensive notes you're taking, Ben. Really, for a first guest, you definitely came prepared, and I, for that, man, that, that just got a big old smile on my face.
0: I must say, Ben, you're a real piece of work. <laughs>
1: well then man that must mean you're a real piece of shit (laughs) Uh (laughs) you set it up man you set it up Sylvester said it not me oh okay my my voice like exactly so yeah you're absolutely right man so it's the final showdown Quaylen is trying to fly away on this helicopter. That's tethered to this ladder that Gabe is hanging on for dear life. And of course, by tugging on it with the helicopter and the force of that, the, I cannot believe how well this ladder did to save Gabe's life because it did because it gets half pulled off of the mountainside and he's basically hanging, you know, free falling, holding on to this ladder for deal life while, uh, Quailin is also trying to make sure that, you know, his plane, his plane basically, um, or excuse me, his helicopter gets thrown around and hits the side of the mountainside. And it's basically both of them are hanging on for dear life. But does that stop Quaylen and Gabe from fighting off the hand-to-hand combat on the belly of a helicopter? <laughs> it does not. That's the answer to that question, ladies and gentlemen. And it honestly, Quaylen was, again, kicking Gabe's ass like really throwing in some serious punches and kicks just like uh, our boy Kaneta was with his Taekwondo. So even though Sylvester's an awesome mountain climber with huge muscles,
0: he, he can't throw a punch. Yeah, you wouldn't think that Quaylin would have the upper hand here, but I guess he's an- been going through a lot more. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, that's true.
2: Gabe's
1: been. I was also going to say it was that (laughs) diabolic. Yeah, he's a little sleepy. But I was also going to say it's that supernatural, uh, um, in, uh, English supervillain strength that (laughs) is carrying Quaylen in this fight. (laughs) But either way, um, Gabe manages to kick Quaylen back into the, um, Helicopter bed where he and grab onto the ladder because the helicopter falls. Or, no, excuse me, Gabe grabs onto the mountain face, not the ladder, because all of it just comes toppling down. Mm-hmm. Quaylen meets a fiery death. Uh, and again, <laughs> Gabe being Gabe has to scale to the very, very top of this mountain now because he's just like on the side of a mountain cliff, you know, didn't just fight a near death experience fight. And all while this time um, it's the United States treasury agents are all looking around to try and find uh Travers and locate the money and everything like that. And, while Gabe scales to the top of the mountain, which at this point is my favorite part with of Hal, because after everything they've been through, Hal's next remark to Gabe, who has just scaled the mountain and basically fought the bad guys and saved his life, is like, oh, Gabe, like you couldn't scale that mountain any faster? I thought you you have been working out? If I, I was sly, I'd be like, oh, hey, Hal,
0: have a nice fall. I was <laughs> the the cliff. Say hi to Sarah for me. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. That was <laughs> <did, Al> <laughs> diabolical right there. <laughs> but then another right before the movie ends, Walter Wright, who is one of the Treasury agents, manages to see – Hal and Gabe and Hal calls for help saying, Hey, we're rescue rangers, please help us. <laughs> then Walter Wright is just like, All right, we'll get even though they have a helicopter right there with some space left and for all three of those guys, they're like, We'll get someone to come by and pick you up. <laughs> like they're gonna <laughs> look at the top of that mountain for who know whoever knows how long else. And then the movie just ends with a pan out of the Colorado Rockies again at nighttime. So really beautiful stuff here. But man, that is just one way for how to end the movie, and then another way for that treasury agent to just be like, "Yeah, screw you guys, get your own helicopter." That's the end. <laughs> oh, oh man, really funny movie, uh, and I know it's not meant to be a funny movie, but talking about it with you guys really makes me laugh.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those action movies that I mean, they I, they definitely include funny scenes. But it's only gotten funnier throughout the years. Just yeah. the more ridiculous the things get.
1: Not necessarily supposed to be funny, because I guess back maybe in the early '90s, you know, one-liners were still a super cool way to finish off an action scene and throw throw someone off the cliff. But but you know, like Hal <laughs> saying "Season's over, assholes," and then shotgunning Delmar in the in the stomach. That's uh, that was just as good as the one-liners we were picking up from the Running Man last episode.
0: I love a great uh villain death also. And I think Quaylin had a fantastic villain death.
1: Yes, he did. Falling in an inoperable helicopter on a mountainside. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But uh I mean, I already know how you feel about this movie, Ben, but uh maybe a better question is, is there something that maybe you think we should take away from this film? Maybe for our listeners out there that are still on the edge on whether or not they want to watch this?
2: Yeah, I think the main thing I would say is Cliffhanger is a movie, and this is kind of like more on the, like a, you know, an actual like thinking about it type movie. If you're looking for, you, you hear about your Rockies, you hear about your Rambo's, you hear about your Creeds. If you're not that well vested in into like good, yet cheesy, but still a fun time Sylvester Stallone like, Cliffhanger is definitely where you want to be. Like it it, it, it is cheesy uh, because it's it, because it's if quote unquote dated from being in the early '90s, but it is no less entertaining. And I think that Michael, you can probably speak to seeing it, uh, you know, as a first time viewer, because you know Matt and I are coming at at out of the lens that we saw this when we were way younger, and we're definitely in a more set mind to really right. enjoy it. And then we have a lot of nostalgia with it. But I think. I think that you know it's it's a great Sylvester Stallone movie that might not get looked at in the pantheon of his other better like quote unquote better films like it's a great action flick it is 90s there's <laughs> no yeah. doubting that this is a 90s movie but it, it it is it is a fantastic watch if you're just looking to have fun I think it's like an hour and 40, 45 minutes at most um, just a quick movie get some action in. It is. It is fantastic. It hits on all fronts, and and in all honesty, um, the graphics. All at moments where you're looking at it, you're kind of like, oh, that's that's cheesy. That, that those you know those that, that CGI or whatever that that's that doesn't look good in today's standards. But for the most part, yeah, I think it, it definitely the holds up. Sequences really hold up. Uh, I think. with with, with, with watching it, um, I never. There were like a handful of times where I'm like, oh, that that looks bad. yeah
1: totally agree and i mean especially with something like uh the colorado rockies as the setting you know we're getting to see all that firsthand like beautiful probably like um scenery that we would never see unless we went up there and climbed it ourselves you know that's it's really nice to kind of have that as like the template for uh you know where the action is taking hold but If I were to put this movie in what where I would watch this, it's definitely like a date movie. You know, it's it's not a it's not a long movie. It's got action, it's got adventure. I can definitely see myself, you know, with a box of popcorn on the couch, you know, with the date, just putting this is going to be our movie night for the night.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was my uh, fiance's first time watching it, and she liked it. So that goes to tell you something. She's (laughs) She's not so much into action movies. I, I, but hey, I, hey,
2: I, I would, I would echo kind of mad on that one. I mean, my, my, my wife, she gets the sleepy sleepies, especially <laughs> being a mom. So a
1: lot <laughs> Thanks for know, calling me, the sleepy but, uh, sleepies.
2: <laughs> but we're, we're, we're <laughs> sleepies, man. I'm a dad. I gotta cheese it up. Uh um, She was the sleepy sleepies, and, uh, and she was watching way past that first actual scene because. When she saw Sarah die, she couldn't believe that they did that right away. It's like <laughs> now aren't you interested? So we're probably gonna uh rewatch the last hour or so uh, with her. Oh, that, her that, brother
1: that's brother. funny, man. I can just see I, I can see you just being like <laughs> with her and she's just saying, Sarah's dead and you'd be like, Oh, that's nothing yet, babe. <laughs> and then just like, <laughs> go back to the movie. <laughs>
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. And then, like ten minutes later, my son wakes
1: up. Right. So then gets, gets full film, but that's okay. That's why we have these we have these films available, ready to us. We can watch them anytime for our viewing pleasure. But uh, in all in all, as a first time viewer, I thought it was an enjoyable movie. Um, definitely got my taste of the meathead genre, especially with doing Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, as our last podcast episode. But uh, I definitely think for two supposedly similar type of actors, we saw some very different type-esque films coming from not necessarily their most popular of films, but definitely ones that um, if you were to delve into their careers more, you would see that these held up and these had some, um, you know, some um, gumption. Uh, is the word they their
0: own, like, had for so The one-liners alone made it worse <laughs> going back and watching these movies.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that, and just some big muscle heads doing some crazy things like Arnold Schwarzenegger carrying I-beams on his shoulders or Sylvester Stallone, just free climbing mountainsides. You got, you get them all here.
0: <laughs> you absolutely do. So, it sounds like this movie is a recommendation from the three of us. Am I right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Can't go wrong.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, listener, I mean, if it ever does come on streaming again, which, you know, I've definitely seen it. I don't know if it was Netflix or Amazon or where beforehand, but if you ever do find it again, it's a no brainer, go ahead and give it a watch. But, uh, you know even if you can't then it is always like available for rental Um, yeah
1: youtube three bucks in hand that's cheaper than going to the movie theaters guys
0: yeah right so if you want to check out any of our past episodes uh we do have this is our first double digit episode number 10 big Uh, one oh We do have nine more great ones to listen to. Uh, You can find those in our back catalogs. We also have an Instagram at that movie was as well as a Twitter at underscore that movie was that uh, we keep up to date with, um, you know, episode listings and uh, occasionally we'll tell our listeners uh, which episodes we're going to record before we do them. So you can, uh, you know, watch before you listen.
1: Sounds good. Sounds right. Yeah. So check us out online. Check us uh, check us out and listen to some of our previous episodes. Um, ben, any final parting words about the, ep- the the episode or being on the podcast? Anything else we want to add towards the movie?
2: You know i only got love for the two of you guys known me for a number of years now and i think this that movie was podcast is something that everybody should be listening to i think it's a great source for showing you movies that you can't quite not, not that you haven't necessarily seen but definitely that you might not have heard of or it's been pushed, pushed in the back of your mind so i think this this podcast specifically does a great way of bringing these kind of quote unquote hidden gems out into the forefront and i think that you guys are great at what you're doing and keep up the good work and you know it, it was a blast to get to talk to you about a movie that i specifically love but a movie that kind of falls in that said genre and uh you know uh, i've mentioned it before to you guys off air but anytime you w- would like me to come back <laughs> no pressure but uh it was it, 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 was, it was it was it was fantastic joining the two of you gents today the
0: Oh thank you, Ben. Good guy. First guest. Um obviously come back on anytime. We'll look into uh, you know, any other movies that uh (laughs) maybe maybe we'll take a break from action for a little bit, doing some back to back ones, but
1: (laughs) Exactly some of these with us. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Ben, for joining us on today's episode. And as always, thank you, Matt, as well for uh you know, helping me do a good job here.
0: Oh, yeah. And, uh yep, so that's been our episode on Cliffhanger. Season's over, asshole. <laughs> <laughs>